You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze the various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, distributed ledger technologies, and cryptocurrencies. You are listening to part one of our two-part series on blockchain basics. In this two-part series, we are going to be covering some of the more common terms in the blockchain space with both business as well as technology focus. In this part one episode, we will be focusing on the business aspects of blockchain industry and explain some of the most fundamental terms and keywords that are used in this space, such as what are ICOs, stable coins, exchanges, OTC markets, etc. So that sounds really interesting. Uh, I think um, a lot of our uh, viewers uh, are already familiar with a lot of blockchain concepts, but uh, I think it's generally good to have, you know, uh, a, a, an episode where we discuss uh, some of the basic terms and uh, uh, short definition definite definitions of certain uh, acronyms that we use a lot uh, in in the space so uh, with uh, krishna could you kind of uh, go into essentially what a coin is and a token and some of the uh, common terms we're looking at from the business perspective sure so uh, i guess two terms that are used very frequently in this uh, cryptocurrency space so one obviously being a coin and second is uh, what is called a token so a coin generally refers to any cryptocurrency that is meant to be used primarily as a form of payment. So for that purpose, a coin generally has its own blockchain. A token generally refers to a cryptocurrency that is meant to serve functionalities beyond being a means of payment. So for example, a token can be used to create voting mechanisms or prediction markets uh, or you know some application like that. So because of that reason, a token is generally created on another blockchain like Ethereum or NEO uh, rather than having its own blockchain. So synchronous with this, two other terms you know, which are very commonly used, they're dApps and smart contracts. So Nikhil, do you want to go into what dApps are? Sure. So by dApps, is essentially a, a term that is, a, is, is like a portmanteau of uh, decentralized applications. So the idea here essentially is uh, how do you actually create applications that people can use uh, using the blockchain network and the blockchain uh, architecture, right? So if you look at that architecture, it is completely decentralized. Uh, so decentralized applications are a new way of creating applications that don't have a single point of failure. Unlike the traditional centralized application where you generally have, you know, one server or a, a few servers sitting in a data center somewhere, uh, which which run the app for, to which you have to connect through your web browser and then you uh, it runs the application and uh, generally have what are known as centralized characteristics. Smart contracts actually are a technical term. Uh, they, uh, I actually find them to be a bit of a misnomer when it comes to blockchains because uh, as far as I'm concerned, a smart contract is neither smart nor a contract. It's actually a program. So it is uh, smart contracts generally refer to the uh, 
uh, automated execution of programmable rules on a blockchain and generally they are uh, created using a, a programming language of some sort uh, and uh, deployed onto the blockchain uh, ledger uh, where they can be invoked by a decentralized application using a transaction and uh, and and run great so basically every application that we currently have uh, so whether it's an app on your phone or whether it's a website like amazon or netflix we're using they're all centralized applications right well it's it's it depends a little bit on a definition of centralized but uh, yeah in if you look at it in terms of an, a single entity yeah so if you like take netflix for example when you run it on your phone or you run it on your uh, from your laptop you are hitting a netflix server now the server might be uh, spread out between multiple data centers across many countries depending on where where in the world you are connecting it to but they are all based off netflix itself so if the netflix company goes down netflix application goes down decentralized applications are generally engineered so that once they have been released onto a blockchain network cannot be controlled so if the even if the entity behind it goes down generally you should be able to run the decentralized application whether that would be still function usefully is that depends on what 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 was inside that application great so moving on probably the most common term that was used in this space in the last couple of years or maybe uh, a little bit more than that is a term called ico so ico stands for initial coin offering and uh, the best way to describe it is so it's, it's basically a mechanism to raise funds for any sort of a project so earlier let's say if you had a idea for a startup uh, you would you know have make a business plan you would go to an investor and uh, you know there, there would be this club of investors who would be uh, willing to invest in your idea and then when internet came along the the whole phenomenon of crowdfunding uh, came into being and so basically you took the power of the investors and you spread it apart among common people you know who were uh, who could be approached with with a product or a or a business idea and they would basically be able to invest in your idea and so when uh, the blockchain and cryptocurrency space started booming uh, it was basically crowdfunding on steroids so <laughs> icos are basically a mechanism you know where a project can actually uh, generate their tokens on a platform like ethereum and then offer these tokens to the crowd in return for uh, money for starting off the project so icos you know they have been sort of up and down you know in the market in the last 3 4 years initially there was this big phenomena where you know every new project that was coming out in the space was doing an ico and rather than going through the traditional route of uh, raising funds with an investor or with some vc firm but uh, in the, in the last couple of years i would say you know it has sort of seen a lull and mainly because of uncertainties around regulations you know how to basically regulate something that is spread apart and decentralized throughout the world so similar to this there are two other terms one is called ieo and the second is called sto so ieo stands for initial exchange offering so this is a mechanism which is very similar to an ico just like ico uh, a project you know if it wants to raise money from the crowd it would uh, release its tokens to be sold to the public but in this case in a initial exchange offering the project would be doing this through an exchange you know for example an exchange like binance so it's basically you know a, a twofold benefit if if project is going through an exchange like binance or some other exchange has direct access to the captive audience of that 
exchange right i mean the exchange will have a certain number of users and you know immediately you know you are listed in one central place and then you can approach your potential investors using this exchange and the benefit for the exchange is that they are basically facilitating this whole fundraising for this project so they will have a commission out of whatever funds that are being raised through their platform so that's the basic difference between a ICO and a IEO the second is STO uh, which is a security token offering so i guess it's it's also useful to explain what are utility tokens and what are security tokens and uh, this is actually a sort of a gray area in the market and it, this has been a gray area for for the last 2 3 years because uh, so by definition a utility token is supposed to be a token that has a utility so you are actually selling tokens to the general public which can actually be used for uh, some tangible benefit you know you you are actually using that token for some sort of a utility security token on the other hand the way the us securities and exchange commission treats it is that there's something called a howey test which is spelled as h o w e y so as per the howey test uh, there is a certain criteria uh, to define you know what is a security and what is not a security so just as an example you know one of the criteria is that if something is being sold to the public with a promise that okay this uh, currency or this commodity is going to rise in value in the future so that you know you can buy it Uh, at a certain price right now and and then the value of this will appreciate in the future uh, it qualifies as a security so technically speaking you know a lot of projects like to classify their token as a utility or a security but uh, as per the clarification given by the sec uh, this year pretty much everything out there is considered as a security by the uh, us sec so uh, stos which stands for security token offering So STOs came after ICOs, and they are basically a scheme that looks to solve certain problems with ICOs. So ICOs are distributed and decentralized, and you know they are not registered anywhere with any uh, regulatory body such as SEC, and so they uh, have a direct conflict of interest, you know, with the regulatory bodies. And so generally, they they are fined or penalized by regulatory authorities after the fundraising has happened. STOs, on the other hand. look to solve this problem by actually registering their tokens uh, their project as registered securities you know with uh, a specific regulatory body in in that uh, geographic area so the the tokens would be very similar to what are given out in icos but these would be actually registered securities uh, in order to comply with the regulations of that area so for example uh, there are certain platforms today which uh, offer these sto tokens so one is called polymath another is securitize and uh, another is harbor so that sort of covers you know how tokens are being offered in the market today so, so through icos ieos and stos another term that is very uh, widely used it's basically a white paper and a white paper is nothing but a document which is created to project or highlight the main objectives or technological or business innovations of a project and so it is used to highlight the potential use cases and you know what what the future could be with that project so it is used as a tool to uh, raise funds from a potential investor even if it is for an ico right and and this is essentially is is one of my uh, pet peeves also is basically because it has it's actually a in my opinion a uh, deceiving term because a white paper usually from an academic perspective refers to a detailed technical paper or a research paper that goes and delves into some new idea or new concept 
whereas that has been kind of co-opted by the blockchain community to become this kind of marketing uh, instrument that they're using as a way to uh, lay out the terms and conditions for ICOs and uh, for their offerings uh, and for their products. So moving on, another term that we have heard quite a bit as, as a potential use case of certain projects, you know, for in the blockchain space. So one is called prediction markets, uh, which utilizes a concept called wisdom of the crowd. Nikhil, do you want to touch on, you know, what prediction markets are? Sure, okay, okay. So a prediction market, um, also known as a decision market or a derivative idea of futures, there are a lot of terms for this are actually exchanges, uh, uh, traded markets created for the purpose of trading outcomes of events. So it's almost like, a, you can consider it like a betting kind of a uh, scheme. So uh, the market prices can indicate what the crowd thinks that the probability of an event is. So it's usually a binary option, like for example, uh, classic uh, prediction markets are around, you know, uh, major sports events so essentially whether uh, uh, in the in the finals whether one team will win or the other team will win so it's a classic binary option right either one will win so they are actually designed to aggregate information about particular topics of interest one of the classic cases other than events is essentially to predict uh, outcomes of political uh, you know elections and stuff like that um, and uh, they they are uh, the traders basically are uh, uh, trading on their expertise so the uh, idea essentially is that they would have uh, expert uh, expert opinions they would have different signals they would get information from different so sources in order to you know make an accurate prediction and thus win the pot and uh, that, that basically in turn would uh, surface the uh, general understanding or the general feeling of the market uh, regarding a particular event. Classic case was Brexit. Uh, you know, Brexit was one of those things where you had a prediction market about where whether British, Britain would stay or go. And then, you know, so it's also a classic case where the fundamental, the prevailing opinion, uh, at least when you look at it from the media perspective, was one thing. Um, but, you know, uh, the actual opinion, the actual event went the other way. Right. So the next term is called a DAO, uh, which stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. So a DAO can be explained as uh, an organization that is running in a decentralized fashion uh, in contrast with a regular uh, an institution which which has a central structure to it. So, for example, a company that is running in the real world uh, has central structures around it. It has a certain management. It has a certain CEO. But DAOs are uh, meant to operate as organizations which would be decentralized. And so they would be spread across the globe. There would be people who are basically the participants of that network, of that DAO, would have certain mechanisms to make decisions as an organization. So DAOs have been both famous as well as infamous in the in the last three years. Uh, Nikhil, do you want to touch on that? Sure. I mean, the reason why they were infamous is because of the famous DAO hack on Ethereum. So uh, where basically a hacker came in and compromised a smart contract that was uh, holding the money of that of that particular DAO. They called themselves the DAO, 
and uh, you know that that led to a lot of controversy and uh, folks and stuff like that uh, but in general the idea is uh, is is one of the one of the main use cases for a public uh, decentralized types of uh, of uh, networks essentially is the idea essentially is okay i have a large blockchain or i have this decentralized network how do i actually manage it or govern it and uh, as a community right so essentially what you have essentially is a community over there and how does that community uh, create laws upgrade those laws change those laws etc so that is essentially the crux of the matter where uh, this concept of a decentralized autonomous organization arises and then you have other terms under it like liquid democracy where you have continuous voting about things um, you have uh, uh, you know uh, different types of voting mechanisms uh, different types of uh, uh, different types of experiments going on on how how you could actually create uh, you know uh, game theoretic or um, a market incentives for people to participate and uh, govern that that their own communities so the next term is what is called a airdrop uh, and airdrop refers to distribution of a cryptocurrency token or a coin and it is generally free uh, so it uh, or, or a coin or a token is generally distributed to the audience or the the users of that network for free by that project uh, and it uh, the project generally does this as like a mass transfer of uh, coins uh, to several different wallets so the purpose of this is generally to gain more traction for the project and you know to attract more people because the airdrop basically acts as an incentive that you know the, the free coins being given away by the project so who would not want to you know come and get them so it's it's basically generally used as a more like a marketing uh, ploy by projects to give away free tokens to people so to attract more and more people to the project so another term is called faucets and faucets basically refer to certain websites uh, which periodically give out free coins you know of uh, either one cryptocurrency or you know many cryptocurrencies so faucets basically operate for different reasons one of them being promoting the adoption of a cryptocurrency or you know for sharing advertising revenue so for example you know if uh, more people are coming to a website and you know the website is generating adver- advertising revenue out of it uh, the f- coins being given away by the faucet is basically a mechanism for the website to share that advertising revenue with the people who are coming on so another term that is very central to how cryptocurrencies operate in the world as of today it's exchanges so just like uh, you have exchanges for trading stocks or commodities and other things there are exchanges for trading cryptocurrencies as well so exchanges are basically centralized online platforms where you can either buy a cryptocurrency uh, using your fiat money such as dollars or euro or trade one cryptocurrency for another so even among these centralized exchanges uh, there are different types you know uh, the most prominent one in the us uh, that most people know of is coinbase so coinbase initially started off as an exchange supporting just bitcoin so initially you could just buy bitcoin with dollars or you could maintain your online wallet send and receive bitcoin and stuff but as of today they are supporting more cryptocurrencies you know like ethereum and some others uh, and then uh, you have some other exchanges uh, like poloniex or bitrex where you can exchange one cryptocurrency for many other cryptocurrencies so generally such exchanges would have uh, various trading pairs 
and these would generally be about three or four in number. So in the, on these exchanges, you can exchange maybe 50 to 60 different cryptocurrencies for either Bitcoin or Ethereum or in the form of some other trading pair on that exchange. And uh, how big or how popular a cryptocurrency exchange is, uh, it depends on many different factors. So for example, how much the trading volume is uh, on that exchange in a day, uh, how many cryptocurrencies are actually listed on that exchange for trading. Uh, or how many people uh, in total are using that exchange. So there are many different uh, factors to assess, you know, which is uh, a good cryptocurrency exchange or which is more popular. And then uh, you come on to something called decentralized exchanges. So decentralized exchanges in contrast with centralized exchanges, as the word suggests, uh, they're decentralized. You know, they, they don't have a central entity which is uh, operating and controlling everybody's accounts or, you know, maintaining the private keys of everybody's wallets. So um, decentralized exchanges are meant to operate in a way that uh, the users themselves would control their own private keys to their wallets. So one of the, it, it's basically a, a something that has been built to fix certain flaws with centralized systems. So for example, if you have a central exchange that is managing the money for everybody, just like a bank, uh, if a hack happens, uh, everybody's money goes, right? And you don't really have control over it because the centralized exchange is managing your keys for you. Uh, but decentralized exchanges look to solve this problem by removing those central points. So uh, to actually do a hack or to lose or, or to steal somebody's funds in, in such a system is a lot more difficult compared to a centralized exchange. Another two terms which are very uh, important in this space when we talk about exchanges. So that's KYC and AML. KYC stands for Know Your Customer and AML stands for Anti-Money Laundering. Uh, Nikhil, do you want to elaborate on you know what these are? Sure. So KYC and AML comes out of the uh, financial regulations and uh, the financial industry. So these basically are uh, rules and regulations that have been put to put together by governments across the world in order to uh, you know uh, track and trace uh, financial transactions across the world. Why do they want to do that? They want to do that so that they can. Uh, impose economic sanctions or blacklist uh, criminals and terrorist groups uh, and and try to control the amount of uh, the, the the financial uh, viability of these uh, of these entities so uh, so to dig into what it is uh, kyc essentially is know your customer it is a mandate that has been given to all uh, financial institutions to periodically update the information that they have on their customers regarding you know where they are located what is their name what is their age etc uh, so i personal identification of that particular customer and aml essentially is a mandate that says anti money laundering so it allow it is to it is meant to prevent uh, criminals and uh, un unwanted entities from uh, converting their black their black money or other sources of income into uh, you know white uh, launder their money. So essentially, uh, anti-money laundering essentially is a set of requirements uh, for the metadata that is uh, provided along with each financial transaction. It is a requirement that every person, uh, 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 every entity that this uh, this transaction goes through. So usually, if there's an international transaction, there are multiple entities and multiple banks and all that are involved. Every entity should have enough metadata about uh, in the transaction to be able to identify all the parties in the transaction. So that's that's basically AML. So. Um, 
just to take this a little forward, uh, uh, there's another uh, common term uh, moving on from uh, the financial industry is uh, the economics of uh, Bitcoin, right? So there is something called crypto economics, which is a common term that has come back, uh, come in that has been coined as part of uh, this whole blockchain craze in the blockchain uh, space. And crypto economics is this portmanteau uh, of cryptography and economics and brings together the fields of economics and computer science to study decentralized marketplaces and applications that can be built by combining cryptography with economic incentives, right? So the idea here essentially is that, you know, uh, in the field of economics, there are methodologies such as game theory, mechanism design, behavioral economics, which essentially model uh, groups of people, right? And uh, in blockchains, essentially what you are dealing with is a decentralized group of people. So how, how can we use these methodologies from economics and combine them with the cryptography and uh, tools around uh, cryptography and uh, computer science to design uh, applications and uh, uh, marketplaces uh, and related services uh, for these groups of people in a decentralized manner. So that's crypto economics. Great. So moving on, uh, another terms which are pretty relevant uh, in terms of, you know, how to assess various cryptocurrencies or altcoins which are there in the uh, entire space. So one is uh, the circulating supply and uh, also what is known as the total supply. So circulating supply refers to how much of a cryptocurrency is currently in circulation. Uh, whereas the total supply refers to how much of that cryptocurrency will ever exist entirely in circulation. So for example, the total supply of a cryptocurrency may be 500 million, but there may be only 100 million of it, uh, which is circulating as of today. Or, you know, just, just take Bitcoin, for example, the total supply is about 22 million. So that is the net amount of Bitcoin that will ever exist. Uh, and uh, the total circulating supply as of today, uh, right now, is just above 18 million. So uh, this is a term which is sort of relevant uh, and it's kind of important for people to pay attention to when they just enter the cryptocurrency uh, space. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, you will see uh, different projects uh, pitching their coin to <laughs> the investors to invest in. Uh, and uh, so people generally have a tendency to just, uh, so there's something called unit bias, right? Uh, which is actually a cognitive bias. So uh, let's just say, you know, if, if I gave you uh, two different projects uh, and, and the coins for them, and the coin for uh, one of the projects was worth five cents, and the uh, uh, the price for the coins of another project was worth uh, $2, right? So as, as a beginner, uh, you would have this bias towards buying something uh, that looks cheap at face value. So you might uh, end up buying, you know, or you, you would want to buy a thousand units of the five cent coin versus uh, buying maybe uh, 10 of the uh, of the two dollar coins. So, uh, but one thing that people fail to look at is what is the total circulating supply and what is the total supply of that cryptocurrency, right? So like if, if there's gonna be a billion of those circulating in the market uh, someday, then the the value of one of those billion that you hold in your hand is it's it's a lot lesser right so uh, the circulating supply and total supply is something that people who are just entering the space should definitely pay attention to to know what is the total supply and you know what is the real worth of whatever uh, they're looking to buy 
So the next is uh, what is known as inflation and deflation. So what are inflationary currencies and what are deflationary currencies? So inflationary currencies uh, basically are those currencies, you know, where uh, as as time goes forward, you would have more and more of those uh, of the units of that currency coming into the market. So by its very design over a long period of time, the currency is designed to lose its value. So this is the typical case with how our fiat currencies operate today. And that's why, you know, in, in every economy, there's a, there's a term called inflation. So as more and more supply of, of that currency comes into the market, whatever you currently hold, it uh, loses its value. And that's the reason why people invest their money into something so that, you know, it, it grows faster than, you know, what uh, the loss they're going to suffer because of inflation of that currency. So that's the reason why people either invest it into real estate or precious metals or something else. So uh, that's inflation. Deflation, on the other hand, as the word suggests, it's the exact opposite of inflation. So let's say if you have limited supply of something, uh, and as the demand for it goes on in the future, by you know by by the very design, the value of every individual unit would go up. So the perfect example is that of gold. So the net amount of gold on on planet Earth is limited. So as you move forward, gold appreciates in value because you cannot just create more gold. And the same is with a cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin. So Bitcoin by its very design uh, that way is deflationary in nature. Moving on, uh, another term that is quite uh, important is Bitcoin futures. So Bitcoin futures are basically uh, a mechanism. It's an it's investing mechanism where uh, people can actually invest on the price of Bitcoin by you know predicting the rise and fall of Bitcoin without having to you know actually purchase or sell any any Bitcoin. So Bitcoin futures are basically contracts that are traded on exchange, uh, on on platforms such as CME, which uh, stands for Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, and they're basically a mechanism for people to speculate on the price of Bitcoin. So let's say if uh, somebody thinks that uh, Bitcoin is going to rise to a certain point uh, one month down the line, so they will purchase a contract which would allow them to sell it at a certain price uh, after after 30 days. So uh, it's that that sort of uh, at at a top level, that's what you know Bitcoin future works like. Nikhil, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, no, you're 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 pretty much you nailed it. Uh, so basically, a future you is is kind of like uh, an uh, uh, a bet that you're making uh, about uh, a particular pr- uh, price. So you can be on the long side where you are optimistic and you feel that uh, you know. Uh, the uh, the uh, the asset is going to appreciate, so you make a long bet, and uh, you you know say that okay, uh, I'm going to buy it at uh, at this particular price at this particular time, and it's slightly, and and the hope essentially is that uh, it will appreciate more than that, so uh, you get a deal, so you'll be able to buy it at lower than market rates. Or you can have uh, the other. The thing is, when you're going against uh, the thing, when you're trying to sell at a short bet, um, do a short bet. Essentially, what you're saying is that okay, uh, you are going to uh, sell this particular uh, asset at a particular rate, uh, and your your belief is that the actual value of the asset will fall further, so you will be actually making money on on that bet. So moving on, uh, the next term is what is called OTC markets. OTC stands for over-the-counter market. So uh, let's just say uh, I met you in person. Uh, so if Krishna meets Nikhil in person, right? And uh, I told you that I wanted to buy Bitcoin from you. And you said, sure, just transfer me $1,000 from your bank account to my bank account. 
and uh, I'll transfer the corresponding amount of Bitcoin from my Bitcoin wallet to your wallet. That would be called an over-the-counter trade. So such a trade would never show up in any centralized exchange. No one would uh, come to know about it. Uh, no one would come to know at what rate the Bitcoin was sold in return for how much uh, value of dollars. So these are basically what are known as OTC trades. These are by, by the very nature, they're, they're private. So uh, given the fact that by its very nature, uh, an over-the-counter trade is uh, private, uh, nobody currently knows how much of the Bitcoin or any of the other cryptocurrencies that are out there in the market, they are actually being sold in the over-the-counter market. So nobody really knows what price they are being sold at, how much of it is being sold, by whom, to whom. So uh, even though we see a certain price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on you know, uh, on a website such as uh, CoinMarketCap. Uh, but what these websites do is they, they basically track the price uh, of uh, Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies on all the various centralized exchanges that exist in the world, which do not capture whatever is going on in the OTC market. So moving on, another very important term, more important now than ever before, it's, it's called uh, DeFi, which stands for Decentralized Finance and which includes many different uh, terms such as a stable coin or what are micropayments, micro lending. Nikhil, do you want to go into you know what DeFi is and you know what these terms are? Sure. So decentralized finance is this uh, set of uh, technologies and uh, set of startups and companies and ideas uh, that are building the next layer of financial of a financial ecosystem right so uh, we've spent so much time we've got bitcoin it's been there for 10 years it's basically a currency a cryptocurrency and it's being primarily used for transactions from one place to another but it has uh, as we have all know it is very extremely volatile the price is very high and uh, it's 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 not a suitable so no it's generally understood that you probably don't want to do you know buy your pizza or sell your uh, sell coffee using bitcoin right so the uh, question then arises okay fine i have this cryptocurrency but i can't really do anything other with it other than hold it and uh, so so what value is it and uh, so DeFi has come up more on the ethereum side than on the uh, bitcoin side primarily because ethereum is a little bit more uh, programmable and flexible where they are actually building decentralized uh, financial mechanisms so stable coins is one of the basic ones so right uh, we look we we talked earlier a little bit earlier about the volatility of cryptocurrencies stable coin basically is a algorithmic uh, or non-algorithmic way of basically pegging or holding uh, the value of a currency of a token to be that of a particular asset. So it could be gold, it could be the US dollar, it could be something else. Uh, but basically you have a set of uh, tokens on Ethereum like MakerDAO, like uh, Tether, that are actually, uh, are actually basically pegged against a particular asset and follow the price of that particular asset. So you have USDT, which is a $1, MakerDAO is also pegged against a dollar. And the idea essentially is that they, they, the, these, these tokens can be used and are encouraged to be used just as you would use cash, right? So you know that they are stable, their value is going to be very close to what 
uh, whatever their pegged asset is so you have a confidence that you can actually trade with it and you can do further things with it and once you get that particular uh, type of uh, instrument uh, to be a, then you can actually do things like micro payments micro lending which are again uh, layers on top of the the basic cryptocurrency layer right so if you take uh, uh, micro payments essentially is the idea that okay uh, i don't want to do a lot of uh, bitcoin trades because the fees for bitcoin is quite high and uh, as a percentage of uh, you know uh, the value of the bitcoin and i want to do small trades like selling a coffee or buying a coffee how do i go about doing that and and that, that's when you know the concept of lightning networks came up uh, which essentially is a way to uh, do these uh, small trades uh, off chain and then periodically settle uh, the these trades uh, the final balance between the parties on chain when they reach a particular level right and similarly for micro lending where you have building a market uh, uh, where small amounts can be directly lent out to people uh, using these these uh, stable coin tokens right so since you just you know uh, mentioned about lightning networks and micro payments another term that just came to my mind was uh, called streaming money so streaming money would be something similar right so let's say if you have a, a let's say the, you have a data plan with your mobile service provider and you want to pay exactly for the amount of data that you uh, that you're using uh, you could use probably uh, this this concept of streaming money in the future right so like exactly byte by byte how much you are using you are paying exactly right. for that right absolutely so the, there again is is an implementation of micro transactions right you you want to actually take it at you know at a very minute level so a few kilobytes or 1 kilobyte or 1 megabyte of data at that point as soon as you consume that a certain amount of money is transferred and and essentially the the idea is that as as so that gives you a kind of a more fine grained control about how you have how much money is being spent and uh, how much uh, when you need to stop and when you need to start great so i think that pretty much covers all the basic terms that are you know relevant in uh, the uh, cryptocurrency uh, from a business perspective before we wrap up i guess we'll quickly touch upon uh, some of the popular uh, trading terms as well that are used uh, so they might be used in the cryptocurrency market or they might be used in the regular uh, stock exchange <laughs> ecosystem uh so the first very popular term uh, is what is known as hodl so hodl is actually a, a misspelling of the word hold uh so it refers to basically uh holding on to your cryptocurrency or your coins um, when the price of it is dipping uh, when it is going down and it's basically a call to hold it rather than selling it so how it came about is uh, in in one of the chat groups in 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 the uh, in the bitcoin community uh somebody posted uh that please hold on to the coins you know when when the price was dropping and they, they they just misspelled it as hodl h o d l and that just that term just picked up from there and people just use uh, hodl instead of hold uh, <laughs> pretty much everywhere uh the other term is called fomo fomo which stands for fear of missing out which is a very general term which is used in many different ways uh, for many different expressions but even in trading it is a term used to describe you know uh, the fear that uh, speculative traders have you know when when the price of something is rising uh they they get uh 
you know pulled into buying more of that coin or buying more of their cryptocurrency anticipating that it will rise further in value so it basically refers to the fear of missing out you know missing out on a on a potential profit in the future uh the third term is uh, what is known as fud which stands for uh, fear uncertainty and doubt so fud is a general term that is used to describe any sort of uh, news uh, that is coming from the market uh, or about the market you know which which sort of uh is is like a negative signal for the market so if it is you know it could be about the entire market or it could be about a specific project so any news which can create fear or uncertainty or doubt in the mind of a potential uh, trader or investor uh, it is uh, you know very commonly referred to as fud the next one is buying the dip buying the dip basically just it, it's a phrase which uh, refers to buying uh, a coin at a low price you know when when the price is dipped you you just buy more of it uh arbitrage arbitrage is a term that is used to describe the uh the the difference in value of the same coin being traded on different exchanges in different parts of the world so for example if if you have your bitcoin uh trading at a certain price on an exchange like coinbase in the us at a certain price and you have the same uh asset that is bitcoin being traded at another price let's say at a higher price uh in uh, some country in africa somebody could actually just buy it at a lower price on one exchange and then just sell it at a higher price on another exchange uh, so this is basically called arbitrage arbitrage is nothing but the difference in the value uh, of the same asset being sold uh, on on these two different exchanges uh, another very common term is pump and dump pump and dump refers generally to uh, a sort of collusion that is done by different traders so uh, they get together and you know they they basically artificially pump uh, the price of uh, the coin uh and once more and more people get suckered into buying it seeing the price rise in that coin uh they just dump it all on the market uh the next term is uh, called whales uh so whales basically are people or entities in the market who have big pockets so a whale generally refers to uh, a person or an entity uh, that was either a very early investor in bitcoin or in, who has like a, a very large uh, amount of bitcoin in their wallet or it could be a financial institution that has purchased bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency in in large amounts so these are whales are basically uh, the entities that have the capacity to move the markets both up and down either way they there uh, if if they dump a certain coin in large numbers the price can crash or if they buy a certain coin in in large numbers the price can skyrocket so whales uh, are basically those persons or entities you know who have large sums of uh, that asset So I think that that wraps up pretty much the most basic terms you know that are relevant in this space from both yeah, business and I, I think so so uh, you know I think we can uh, from the business perspective I think this 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 kind of covers it uh, we'll have another uh, 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 discussion where we can talk about some of the technical terms uh, so this so far we've been talking about blockchain and bitcoins uh, as uh, you know from the cri- cryptocurrency and trading perspective and we can also go into some of the technical terms that come up when you actually look into the technology behind bitcoin um, behind cryptocurrencies all right folks that concludes part 1 of this two part series on blockchain basics focusing on business please make sure to check out part 2 of the series where we discuss all the various technical terms of blockchains You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.